Hi, and welcome to Let's Get Clinical, tips from the CRA helper. Here is your host, Elizabeth Waddell. Hi, Elizabeth here, and welcome to episode 15, where I will discuss tools for monitoring. When a CRA is well-prepared for a visit, it's definitely going to go smoother and save you so much time. Each monitor is different regarding what works for them, but I wanted to share what specifically helped me. Now, like I mentioned, this episode is helpful monitoring tools. So this is not a comprehensive list of all the tasks that are needed to be performed by a CRA as prep for a monitoring visit. Actually, all prep and follow-up tasks that a CRA must do before and after monitoring visits, that's going to be reviewed in detail in my course. But for this episode, I wanted to dedicate this to monitoring tools. Okay, so now that I've clarified what the episode's about, let's jump in. First and foremost, for PSVs and SIVs, checklists are a must. PSVs, they're also called pre-study visits or site selection visits. They're kind of like an interview with a tour. So you need to be prepared with everything you must do and ask, everything you need to confirm. You just want to make sure to cover everything. Each study is different, so you're definitely going to receive training for sure. And then after that training... From the study team, I re-review the protocol, the investigator brochure, and the training material. I review all of this stuff together in addition to our company SOPs and an annotated trip report for that particular study. And I'll create a checklist. So I'm using all this material so I can have everything in one place and have everything documented so I will not forget to cover anything. And also it helps give yourself extra reminders. For example, if I'm checking that they have the appropriate equipment for the study, I also want to give myself a reminder. In addition, is it calibrated? Did you check the calibration documentation? Some of these things are just going to become second nature as you get used to doing pre-study visits. But when you just get started, you want to make sure you have every base covered and put those reminders for yourself. So I wanted to stop here really quick. For those of you who are not used to the terminology yet, just to describe what an annotated trip report is, and this is something you're going to hear a lot in this episode as well as in your monitoring career. Every time I would start a study, again, each company's different in regard to their SOPs, and attached to the SOP for each visit type, there's usually a template for that particular type of trip report of everything that needs to be captured for each particular type of monitoring visit. So in this case, it's a report template for a PSV. And so what'll happen is usually the lead on the study will take that report template and depending on that study, the requirements for that study, and also requested clarifications requested by the sponsor, usually they'll type in red different clarifications or things that they want to see documented. They'll even put reminders in there as well, like regarding recruitment, make sure to confirm this with the PI and they'll put what needs to be confirmed. Make sure to confirm if they have this specific type of equipment and does it do this. So they'll put different reminders for you, study specific things and study specific requirements and comments that the sponsor would like to see commented on. And I had this with a routine monitoring visit report. One of the big things required by the FDA for this particular study was a GI questionnaire because it involved safety. We had to confirm that the site was using this form between monitoring visits, or I'm sorry, we had to confirm that the site completed this form between study visits or the subject and also during study visits. And we had to document that we reviewed it if there were any issues and if the site was compliant with this. So that annotated trip report 
is such a huge tool because not only are you getting the report template and everything that you're going to have to document in that report, but you're also getting those extra reminders and things that need to be documented for that particular study. You're getting all those tips all in one place as well. So I use that in addition to re-review of the protocol and the investigative brochure and the training material and the SOPs, all that together and create one checklist. After creating the checklist, I cross-reference this with all of the material to ensure that I haven't missed anything. I want to ensure that all information that's to be confirmed at the pre-study visit, all the questions, everything to be confirmed with study staff, all the equipment required for the study. Where do I tour? What are the different pieces of equipment? What different site facilities do I need to tour for this particular study? There are also questions and things that are required for you to confirm with the PI. Only things that the PI can answer. They want to hear the PI's response on this. Therefore, I highlight these items on my checklist. I highlight everything that is PI only on my checklist. And I do this because usually they may pop in when it's convenient for them. And nine times out of 10, your time with him or her is very limited. So you want to be prepared, go through everything. All right, SIVs, site initiation visits, lots and lots of training and ensuring the site is ready for activation and ready for enrollment. So you want to confirm everything is in place for them to get started. Again, each study is different and you're definitely going to receive training on how to conduct the SIVs and you'll review all the SIV training slides that you're going to review with the site staff. And sometimes, I'm not kidding, I've been on studies where they're hundreds of slides to review. The SIV is very intense. I mean, this is your initial training with a site. You're setting the standard of how the study is to be conducted. So it's very intense, lots to review. And after I receive this training, I re-review that protocol. Again, you need to know the protocol inside and out, back and forth, and where to find everything. And by this time, the CMP, that clinical monitoring plan, should be finalized by that time. Again, that's another document, another tool that you need to know inside and out. So I re-review the protocol. I re-review and become very familiar with that clinical monitoring plan, re-review the training material that I received, those SIV slides, and I use this information, again, in addition to company SOPs and the SIV annotated trip report, I take all that together and I create a checklist. Again, you want everything in one place. Easier for you, it'll go smoother that way. And in addition to the checklist, you also want to confirm for an SIV, usually they'll receive their initial study supplies, also their initial shipment of study drug. And so you want to confirm the receipt of those shipments before your visit. And then also you want to have shipment receipts, packing slips, whatever it may be. Before you go out there, usually your lead may send you this information. So you have that and use that as a tool when you go to perform your visit because you can use that to cross-reference and check that they've received everything appropriately. Did they receive all the lab kits required for the study, the correct ones? Did they receive all the study drug and the correct kit numbers for that particular site. So these are, again, tools that you can bring with you. And just like the PSV, there are going to be certain sections that you have to review with the PI. The PI must be present. So make sure to highlight those sections. Make sure to highlight those things on your checklist because, again, his or her time will be limited. I've had some that were checking watches when I'm reviewing eligibility criteria. So definitely be prepared with your PI-only material. So tool preparation for RMVs, routine monitoring visits, definitely takes more time, but again, so worth it. So I would use the protocol, the clinical monitoring plan, company SOPs, and the annotated RMV trip report together and make one checklist. So again, everything's in one place. I know everything to be completed at my visit. 
And then in addition, I would also create tools that would assist me with other monitoring tasks. So for example, to assist me with ICF review, source review, CRF review, I would create what's called monitoring worksheets. On some occasions, a lead CRA may provide the study team with the monitoring worksheets, and then I would tweak them and maybe add to them, or you might have to create it from scratch. Either way, definitely worth it. So helpful. So like I say in almost every episode, I'm a paper girl, and (laughs) you know, that should just be my middle name, Elizabeth Paper Waddell. But I create paper monitoring worksheets that would include the subject number and demographics, but no identifying info. And I would start with a section that would document ICF HIPAA. And so in this ICF HIPAA section, I would have a place to put the version number, the date signed, if there were any issues observed, and if the consent process was documented appropriately. And remember, on a side note, you must have both a signed consent and a signed HIPAA before you can do any review. If not, you can't go further. So I always love to give that reminder. So in this monitoring worksheet packet, I would also include the schedule of events. And when you get used to reviewing protocols, you'll notice that there's usually always a schedule of events table of all the study procedures required for every single study visit in the protocol. And usually what I would do is I would add that schedule of events to my monitoring worksheet and I would tweak it and it's a great monitoring tool to use. So at the top where it lists the visit numbers and the visit windows, I would add a space where I could document the actual visit date. And then I would confirm from there if it occurred within window. And then down each column, it would be marked when specific protocol procedures were required at the applicable visit. So I usually would add a space there too, so I could jot notes and where I could also note the time. Also, any additional reminders that maybe would help me, additional things that I would need to look for as a monitor. So for example, in the protocol, you'll have the inclusion, exclusion criteria section. You'll have the concomitant medication section listing the allowed and the disallowed medications. You'll have the section listing every single study procedure that should be performed at every single visit. And then you have the scheduled events, but you'll also have a safety assessment section and a list in more detail, for example, about the vitals, how they're to be collected, how they're to be obtained. And sometimes they'll even list specifics like, Subjects should rest at least five minutes prior to collecting vitals. So things like that, I would put a reminder on my monitoring worksheet, like listed under the vitals, did the site have the subject rest at least five minutes prior to obtaining vitals? So things like that, you want to keep in mind and give yourself reminders to check for. Some studies may require that labs are collected after vitals. So this is another reminder that you could put on there to make sure to check for and that the site is compliant with. So whatever specifics that your study asks for, tweak it and make this monitoring worksheet something that works for you, helps you not to miss anything, gives you reminders of what to check for, and that you are covering everything to ensure that the site is compliant with everything in the protocol. I also remember a study where there was a certain rating scale questionnaire that had to be completed plus or minus one hour from the time it was completed at randomization. So as the sponsors were noticing a trend that the subjects were being inconsistent when completing these, they wanted to make sure that we started monitoring this, re-educating sites regarding this, even though it wasn't specified in the protocol. So it would have been a protocol deviation. The result of the questionnaire was a primary endpoint in the study. 
So they wanted to ensure that sites were being consistent when this data was being obtained because of what's called, I want to say, circadian rhythm. So that people think differently dependent upon the different times of day. And so they really wanted this data, which we do in clinical studies, to be valid. And this is part of efficacy assessment. So we had to start keeping track. Remember, that annotated trip report, they updated that. So in the red writing on the annotated trip report, they actually added that the sponsor wanted us to check the site's compliance with obtaining this questionnaire, either plus or minus one hour of the time completed at randomization. So we had to document the subjects we reviewed, if the site was compliant, if there was any re-education needed and things like that. But ha ha ha, remember on my monitoring worksheet, I had already documented the times that the different procedures are done. Not only did they do it, I would put the times. So actually I could look at my monitoring worksheets already and tell if the sites were being compliant with that. So that was actually something that was nice. So really the monitoring worksheets can help you also to kind of look back and just remember any issues you need to document in your report. It helps you as a tool while you're at the site, but also even after while completing your trip report, it definitely comes in handy. It's definitely a great tool before and after to have before and after a visit. And this was a paid advertisement for monitoring worksheets. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. It was just so funny. I was on my soapbox so long for how great they are. I just thought I'd throw that in there. (laughs) But don't worry, I'm almost done with the monitoring worksheet section. But in addition, I would also make note of the subject's medical history and their con meds. And then I would use this while reviewing the historical medical records for the subjects. I could be reviewing years prior to the screening visit and see that there was a certain medication prescribed for a specific indication. And then I could look at my notes to see if the condition was captured in the subject's medical history. If not, I would generate a query. If so, yay, they've documented appropriately. So I also would have a section regarding IE criteria. I would assess all inclusion all exclusion in order to confirm if a subject is eligible or not. So I would have this section, I would have all the inclusion exclusion criteria from the protocol attached in my monitoring worksheet packet. And like I mentioned in episode eight regarding source stocks and subject eligibility, I go line by line through all the criteria so I'm confident the subject was eligible and randomized appropriately. Also on the monitoring worksheet, and I usually do this on the schedule event section, I have like an extra space next to IP accountability. I also document the IP kit dispensed or the study drug kit number dispensed at the required visits and how much was returned and also my calculation of study drug compliance and any other issues as well. And even though... The study coordinator will calculate compliance at study visits. Usually, we as monitors must also calculate the study drug compliance on our own because that way we can ensure that the site completed it correctly and if the subject was compliant or not, or were they over-compliant, were they under-compliant. So we, in addition to the site, must also be calculating the study drug compliance. So that was just a little side note I wanted to add. But I also have a section where um, on my monitoring worksheet where I document protocol deviations or issues noted, AEs, SAEs, and any extra comments. Again, I love monitoring worksheets. Very, very helpful. So now I am finally done with that section. So now let's get to the tools that I use for RegBinder review. So usually, like I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'll print out a report of the contents of the TMF, that trial master file. And I also make a copy of the site's delegation of authority log. So the contents of the TMF, that report helps me as I'm reviewing the reg binder in order to see what we're missing on our end and what we may need copies of that I need to collect. 
And I use the delegation of authority log for multiple reasons. And I've went over this in a previous episode as well, where I talked about essential documents and training documentation. And what I use the copy for is on the copy, I can make notes. And usually I'll color code different things. Like in blue, I would note who was present for each study staff member who was present at the SIV. So I know if they were present at the SIV, they received the appropriate training for the study and their name is documented as an attendee on the trip report. And the SIV trip report is actually the one and only report a site is going to ever receive or see. And this trip report will document the training of that particular site staff that was present at the SIV. So I'll put SIV next to those site staff that were present. And then for those who were not present at the SIV, I'll make a little check mark if I observed their protocol or study training documentation in the binder. So for those not present at the SIV, I'm looking for their training documentation. And then when I find it, I check it off. And I also kept in blue, since it involved training, their GCP training. So I would look then for each and every staff member and document it if I saw or observed for each and every staff member, the GCP training. And I would also document the date of the GCP training. And the reason I do this is because they may require updated training depending on the length of the study. So I like to document that date just so I can get an idea when it would be due for an update. And another color, then I would check off and document the date of the CVs provided for site staff. It started off many years ago. I'll go back to my history where it used to be CVs required to be filed for PIs and all the sub I's on the 1572. Well, now most studies, just depending on SOPs and sponsors, and most studies do require CVs filed for all the staff members on the delegation log, which is understandable. If you want to show that the PI has delegated the study task to qualified trained personnel, how do you know if they're qualified if you don't have a CV filed? So I think it's great to have a CV filed for all the site staff, even lab techs. So everybody on the delegation of authority log really should have a CV filed. But again, confirm that with your study team and your company SOPs. So I would go through and I would check off all the CVs present. I'd go for each staff member and then I'd write the dates because some SOPs require them updated every two years. It's usually an industry standard every two years. Again, will depend on your company SOPs. I then document the dates of licenses for all the applicable site staff. So I'll go through document that date just in case there's an expired license and they need to update it. I want the date at my fingertips. So I would also make a star next to the site staff that were listed on the 1572. That way I just know which ones were listed as PIs and sub-I's because if they're on the 1572, then they also need to have a financial disclosure form on file. So I'll know which ones to look for and make sure that financial disclosure form is there. And then there's also certain study tasks that require specific training. And so I'll circle those tasks for the applicable personnel. And then when I look at the little circles of the task, I'll check off if that training was present, if that training was filed for that task. For example, if someone has been delegated the task of shipping lab samples, then we need to see some sort of certification of training that they're able to ship hazardous material. So like IATA certification or safety pack certification. So you'll want to go through and check that those are present. And I usually document the dates of those because they can expire. It's like every two to three years, I want to say. Also EDC training for those that perform data entry. I look for that. And also there's certain studies that have raters, rating scales that they have to be certified. So 
just particular tasks that you have to confirm something extra, some additional form of training or certification, I'll circle those. And it's just one place that I have everything at my fingertips that I can make sure all the training and certification is filed as it should be. And I also love doing it this way because at each visit, I have one place that I can look at the dates and the reg docs for each staff member and can tell if there are any updated documents that are required at that particular visit. So it's much easier than having to review the same documents in the regulatory binder over and over again. You can focus on new documentation that have been added since your last review. So I do this for study calibration of equipment as well. I document in my notes and in the report the date that recalibration is due, and then I don't have to recheck the equipment at every single visit. I already know when the recalibration is due. So that's something that I do before my visits. I check, okay, is there anything due for recalibration of equipment? I look at all the regulatory documentation, the essential documents that are documented on my copy of the delegation log. Are there any updated CVs do, any updated licenses that I need to be aware of, GCP training do. So all this, I can just look and tell before I go there. And then it's also nice too, you can contact staff ahead of time and ask if if they have these updated documents and can have them provided for you when you get there. So awesome. See, it's a great tool between visits as well. So regarding IP, IP accountability tools, if the study uses IVRS or IWRS, I'm sure you remember me talking about this, I print out a sheet listing all the drug shipments to the site, a report that lists all the study drug dispensed and those not dispensed. And this makes it so much easier because when I go into the drug room, for example, say it's drug that's stored at room temperature, then I go into that drug room and I have a list of all the non-dispensed drug. And I'm looking at where they're storing the drug for our study. And I can look and every bottle that's listed on that list of not dispensed drugs should match every single bottle that's there. It should match exactly. So that's a quick way in order for me to review the undispensed study drug. So there's some IP reports that I do save electronically. Don't fall over that I actually do have something electronic. (laughs) And the reason I keep these stored electronically is if I ever need to sort or filter anything, it is nice to do this via Excel because most IVRS, IWRS data can be exported into the Excel system. So if I want to sort by a subject number or maybe a drug shipment number, it's, it is really nice to have electronically. So I know this is pretty funny for the paper girl, but it, it really does come in handy. And also it's really nice because I can also sort by how many subjects have been screened, how many subjects have been enrolled and randomized. So that's nice too, because usually in your monitoring reports, you have a section where you put the status, how many subjects have been screened, how many subjects have been screen filled, enrolled, randomized, early terminated, completed the study. So all of that is at your fingertips and is a very useful tool while you're monitoring on site. Oh yeah, I thought of actually something else electronic that I would utilize as a monitoring tool. So don't fall over. This is another one I used. But I had a lead on a study that was really awesome with using Excel and putting in different formulas. And so he sent us a, a spread an Excel spreadsheet where you can enter visit one, then you could enter visit two, and then it would calculate all the subsequent visits that the study visit should occur with the visit windows. So you could go in there just by looking at the actual visit date. You can tell just by glancing at the sheet if they were within window or not, which I absolutely love because I started monitoring old school where we had the little wheels. I don't know if you guys out there are old enough to remember, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> but we had these wheels and then you would put the wheel over the visit date and then you would use that and calculate and are able to determine if the visit was in window or not. So we definitely have come a long way in calculating visit windows. So I did love that Excel spreadsheet and also the same lead generated one and sent it out to us where it would calculate IP compliance for a single blind run-in period. And based on the single blind run-in period, based on the subject study drug compliance, that was part of the inclusion criteria. They had to be like 75% compliant or more. So he had generated this Excel spreadsheet that we actually plugged in the numbers. And based on that calculation, we were able to use that to ensure the subject was eligible and met that criteria. So that was really cool too. So those were the few electronic tools that I used, but they were very helpful, I will admit. And then back to paper. (laughs) I also would print a list of the open action items from the previous visit. So I could just go down the list confirming if they were resolved by the site or addressed by the site. It made it much easier just having it in one place. And I would also keep a running list of anything that my study team wanted us to follow up on with our study sites or at the next visit. Or maybe the medical monitor would contact me and say, hey, while you're at the site next, can you follow up on this for this particular subject? I would either print off that email and stick it in my file right at the top. So I would remember to do that or just write it down on a list and keep a running list and have that in my file as well. And that list would definitely keep on going during the visit as well because when the PI pops in, you want to be ready with anything you need to go over with the PI. So always have that side list. And lastly, regarding tools for a COV, a closeout visit. So like the three other visits, I take the clinical monitoring plan, the the company SOPs, the annotated COV trip report, and any other specifics or directives from the study team, I put all of this together and make one checklist. So let's say it together, like I've said this whole time. Everything, again, is in one place. And again, I do not want to miss any steps or get off track in any way. So in addition to my checklist, which does include everything that I need to discuss during a COV with the PI regarding their obligations after study closure, I definitely print out the contents of the TMF as this will be the final visit where you'll have that final reconciliation of the ISF, the reg binder, and the TMF, the trial master file. So this will be the visit where you have that final reconciliation. So you want that printout of everything that's in the TMF because you want to make sure to collect anything that is needed on our end in our files. Most studies I've been assigned to, it's the CRA's responsibility to return all of the drug at the end of the study. So we'll ship it back. By my last RMV, if I haven't returned the remaining study drug yet, then I will do this at the COV. So if I hadn't completed this yet, then I would bring the IVRS reports and whatever documentation or any forms that are needed to ship and return drug. And also in addition to air bills and and things like that, any materials that I need, there were sometimes I needed to bring packing tape just to ensure that I had everything that I needed to return drug. Wow. So that was a mouthful. And again, this is what I liked and what worked for me as far as monitoring tools are concerned, but everyone is different and many prefer electronic methods. And that's awesome too. You're go- you will find your groove as you gain experience. Everyone may have a different method, but the end goal should be the exact same. Subject safety, data integrity, and doing our jobs with quality. 
Thank you so much. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe. And I pray you guys are safe out there. And again, let's work together to flatten the curve and stop the spread of the coronavirus and COVID-19. And I, again, just want to give a shout out and a big thank you and a hug to all of our nurses, doctors, and healthcare workers and grocery store workers, power linemen, delivery workers, sanitation workers, everyone out there that puts their lives on the line every day. Thank you so much. Again, everyone stay safe. And I look forward to our time together next week. Until next time.